0: If we're gonna continue talking about regulation and legislation, how important they are, and that we need meaningful and reasonable ideas coming from the government, then we need people on our side of the industry who understand how to get those laws passed, what it's like to work within Washington, and who understand all of that bureaucracy. Perhaps the best voice we have is Kathy Kraninger, who now is the Vice President of Regulatory Affairs at Solidus Labs, but she was the former director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. For the entire United States of America. She actually, in her job before that, managed a multi-hundred billion dollar budget for Homeland Security and other massive agencies. She understands the bureaucracy in Washington, how regulation should move forward, and how to truly protect consumers but allow innovation to flourish. That's dope. But I met you at Consensus on the floor there in Austin with Josh Frank, who must have said five times in a row, you have to have Kathy on the podcast. You have to have Kathy on the podcast. So do you want to talk about regulation? Honestly, no. But it's the only thing there is to talk about anymore. Right. But you probably have uh, more background in that space than almost anyone we could possibly get on on this podcast. I don't generally go into the tell me your story, but tell me your story because it's pretty crazy. (laughs)
1: Well, thanks for that, Scott. And uh, it was fantastic to meet you at Consensus and and great lead up to the chance to just get to have a conversation with you. And I thank uh, Josh for that, too, because he is definitely one of the friends that I have met uh, on my crypto journey. But I started uh, actually in a long career working for the U.S. government in a variety of capacities. Um, On September 11th, I was at the Department of Transportation and that really launched um, uh, a lot of um, obviously good things coming out of that in terms of completely revamping the way we think about aviation security, transportation security, uh, cross-border activity. And and while I'll say uh, there are many in America who may not thank us for that, um, we were doing what Congress directed us to do, but trying to do it in the best possible way. And it led to tons of international negotiations and setting standards about, you know, again, what what document verification and and security requirements look like, what supply chain security requirements look like, and trying to rationalize even, you know, how you screen people across borders. And that was the, the introduction to me of New areas of regulation and really how you build that and how you think about it. You have to partner with the industry. I mean, prior to September 11th, this screening was actually carried out by the airlines. Um, and it was pursuant to federal direction, but it wasn't, um, you know, there was a lot of flexibility there for, for them in terms of how they carried it out. And you had to work with them because the flow of passengers, in fact, is actually very related to um you know, how how you even can manage that flow. Um, so you get to all kinds of issues around all of the interdependencies of scheduling flights um, and, and passenger loads and all of those things. And so it really, it taught me a lot about how you think about government and how those activities in a heavily regulated industry drive a lot of the decisions that businesses make. And, and frankly, that can help an innovation or that can hurt an innovation And transportation then, as I said, was a segue into a lot of the other things I've done in my career around federal budget and and big technology programs. But that, of course, did lead me into financial services. And the last job that I had in government was as director of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And you again look at massive change uh, around the financial crisis, the creation of this new agency, and how the CFPB interacted with, again, a heavily regulated industry, existing regulators, global dynamics around fintech and banking and things that uh, do cross borders, and increasingly people crossing borders who have these same expectations, no matter where they are in the world, that these things are all supposed to work. Um, And then you juxtapose that against the cultural changes that the crypto industry has sought to bring and that frankly led to many of the innovations that are driving uh crypto it, it's just a, a fascinating space to be part of and I, I was excited two years ago to join this industry and and definitely happy to talk about what i do now but i'll i'll stop to to give you or a chance to, to take it where you'd like to take it
0: for sure i I mean, people were probably just mad that they had to take their shoes off and take their laptops out of their bag and throw their water away, right? No, I know, no. I
1: hesitate to bring it up, but it is, you know, again, we're, we're looking at threats, risks, and and congressional direction under the law. I mean, that's that's the fundamental dynamic there.
0: I mean, listen, I'm 46 years old. I remember those casual days of tra- travel where you were trying to get as far away from the smoking section on the plane and you could basically show up 20 minutes before your flight and walk through and nobody screened you. So I can't imagine, I mean, we all look at it and now, but uh, looking at it in hindsight, what a transition that would have been for anyone who did it before, sort of probably highlights the challenges you have in any newer industry or when you have one of these Black Swan events, you're in crypto now, which has effectively been the Wild West and almost no regulation. And now there's actually been financial harm done to consumers, you could argue, after the contagion of last year. And so now, we look for a regulatory framework. And I think most people in the industry would say that we are not heading in the right direction in that regard. Maybe that's a result of the party that's in power or the people that are in positions of power within it. Certainly everybody uh, dislikes Gary Gensler, but how are we going to put together a framework from the regulatory side for crypto that allows innovation, but also protects consumers, which to your point is exactly what you were doing for years. I mean, you were literally in charge of protecting consumers in the financial space for the United States government.
1: (laughs) No, it's, it's a, it's a fundamental question and, and one that um, really has just a lot of different facets to it. Uh, I think some of it does get to those consumer expectations. So the, I guess one of the key fundamentals of consumer protection is actually disclosure and dealing with information asymmetry, you know, what what do insiders know that frankly, the public investors, consumers should know when they're engaging with a product. There's also um, a dynamic that gets lost here but that investment is actually risk and and the other issue that we're thinking about too as americans is you don't get anywhere without taking risk i mean that's in life so so risk elimination is not actually the goal it's risk mitigation and frankly, again, disclosing the risks and letting people make decisions about the risks that they're willing to take or not take uh, for themselves. I can tell you as I look at my own career, joining the the crypto industry, albeit at a software provider that is seeking to bring market integrity into the market and that we help uh, monitor these markets for manipulation, for fraud, um, that's still a risk. It's a startup business. Uh, it's a challenging environment. There are competitors, so it, you know it's a risky decision to decide to do these things. But it's it's my right to decide that that's where I want to go uh, as a career. And so, having options available to investors and consumers to to be able to make you know decisions for themselves about the risk level they want to take uh, that's that's also part of this dynamic. And I think a, a lot of today's world there's there's a lot of uh, idea here that you should just be able to eliminate the risk and that that, that somehow is is um you know or, or preclude people from interacting with with crypto, which is really just I think the the wrong approach. So it's how do we build the transparency and disclosure and and enable crypto to meet its promise um, That's the way the framework really should be um, undertaken. And there are, there are countries that are doing it that way.
0: Seems like every other country at least has a plan and that we're just sort of uh, regulating by enforcement and not offering people any sort of protection. It's interesting to me, because the biggest problem last year really was with Voyager and Celsius and all these, that lack of disclosure and transparency that you discussed. They were marketed as banks, effectively, a number of these platforms or safe exchanges and custodians. In reality, they were hedge funds that were gambling with client or customer money. But if they had literally just sent out a monthly disclosure and said, this is where your money's going, Voyager, for example, to which I'm a creditor, if they had said, we just gave an unsecured, uncollateralized loan for $700 million to three Arrows capital, people would have then had the opportunity to, to exit. So it seems like even just simply putting those disclosures in place in advance of these mistakes, instead of just punishing people And which doesn't help consumers at all, after the fact would be where the focus should be. I'm not even blaming them necessarily for not protecting people because I know it's hard to get ahead of these things at that time, but that should be the template for what we do moving forward, correct?
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, again, some of this, um, we've been talking about crypto as the Wild West. Some of it is just bread and butter financial services. So the same responsibilities that, a bank has, or that a hedge fund has, or that any corporation has, are are the same responsibilities that many of these centralized crypto companies have. You know, they are they are intermediaries, they have responsibilities and obligations under the law, and they weren't following them. Um, so so that is where this enforcement dimension, you know, should occur. However, we are talking too about um. You know, a, a some fundamentally different market structures, and that's where the confusion comes in. The drive and need for clarity comes in because there are new ways to enable um, really people to engage with assets and and to to take uh, investment risks and decisions they want to take, and the current structure just doesn't enable all of that, um, and that's the frustration. Um, And, you know, we could probably get into the the Coinbase SEC back and forth, uh, but I think that's a good example of it. And what many of the other countries are doing is saying, yes, if you are dealing in, you know, securities trading, there are laws about that and there are requirements under that, you know, no matter what you claim to be doing differently, you still have to follow those laws and rules. But. We are creating something for digital assets that might be utility tokens that perhaps those projects don't even know yet what the ultimate use case is going to be, but you still have a baseline of disclosures that you have to follow. You still have requirements. And so you aren't just, um, if you're again, launching one of those businesses, you aren't free and clear from that level of um, consumer or investor protection.
0: (laughs) And we have this, come in and register, come in and talk to us. It's going to be great. It's a party in here, right? And you can't register any of this stuff. They won't even define what it is. That's the bigger problem. It's funny to watch the evolution of the crypto space's sort of interaction with the SEC. Because first it was like, none of this is securities, leave us alone. Then it became, just tell us which ones are securities. Now it's like, literally just name everything securities so we can move on and just give us any clarity, right? Just say it. Just say it. And we can't get any of that. So I, there's just no way for this industry to even comply. Like you said, I don't think even most people at this point are opposed to the idea of registering and being regulated. They just can't do it. There's no path.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly the problem. Um, and and um, I think one of the challenges we've had as an industry is we haven't done a great job of, Capturing the specifics around why that is, um, and more of that is now being talked about because, again, I think it's out of people's frustrations. And now, do you look at that again? Just come and register. Uh, it's not like it's a web form that takes somebody, you know, 20 minutes to fill out. We're talking about hiring a law firm and an army of lawyers and spending millions of dollars and seeking to to come up with ways to address what the requirements are, recognizing. You can't do it. You can't do it from here. Um, and one of the arguments is around the segregation of duties. I think people understand that and are, are frankly, trying to structure their their um, entities to to make sure that custodial responsibilities are met, to make sure that again, there you know conflicts are disclosed and are uh, are mitigated or addressed when they're when they're not allowed. Um, so those types of things are. are um, a more probably clear example of things that are going to go away. I mean that you're, you're just not able to actually perform all of the functions in the market. But protections around settlement and and clearing when when that settlement and, and clearing is instantaneous, you know, there's a whole lot of cost in traditional finance that segregates some of those duties to address a risk that immediate settlement and, and clearing just don't doesn't even actually provide. There, there are other risks there, but that is not, um, you know, something that needs to be mitigated and something that you need to, again, at the end of the day, charge all of us for um, when we're looking to engage in it in that instantaneous way. Um, and those are the kinds of things that are more specific and meaty and, uh, and need to be addressed. And that's why the, you know, come in and register is, is pretty uh, disingenuous.
0: And you speak of charging us all for it. I mean, the American taxpayers effectively paying for all these enforcement actions. Which the the absurdity of that, I think, is painful, especially we're also paying for the bankruptcy cases, right, which are and many of us have lost money in them are actually paying for the for the other for both sides of the court case. So it's a it's a really, I think, broken process. But not to harp on all of the negative, I think we can just dive in, I guess, as you alluded to, to Coinbase. Because this is theater of the absurd more than maybe even any of them, because Coinbase actually direct listed and had to get permission, effectively, from the very SEC that's now sending them Wells notices and threatening to litigate or an enforcement action on things that they were aware of for years.
1: Now, it is is a bit of a head scratcher here in terms of the interest in the government of you know, continuing to expand the public markets that have made the U.S. the hallmark for investment and the envy of the world. You know, you have a prominent crypto company that came forward and and went through, um, you know, that process, um, had to disclose all kinds of things to the SEC in that process, and certainly that includes the products that they're, uh, you know, offering to the public and the the path and their business plan and all, you know, all of all of the disclosures that go um, with becoming a public company. They went through all of that. Uh, they, in fact, continue to meet their obligations on that front. Um, and and yet, you know, you have this. Um, what appears to be a fixation? Look, I, I served in government. My heart is still in government in many respects and and doing it the right way. but I I really do wonder what what's happening here. So you you almost hope that they they have some something that is going wrong uh, there that that warrants the amount of attention and and uh, resources be expend being expended to take enforcement action um and and then you get to also a, a philosophy of mine. I, I don't think that market participants generally who come to the government to try to engage, understand what the rules are, have a conversation about the products they want to offer and how they can meet their legal obligations and requirements, I don't look at them as the first targets for enforcement. In fact, those who are operating in the shadows are are really the ones that uh, that are avoiding the conversation and engagement with government. Um, and that doesn't mean that things don't happen. Of course, things happen in companies. And, and you see it with all kinds of settlements, with with big institutions. You know, they are, at the end of the day, full of people. And there are people who do dumb things and 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 uh, are seeking to take advantage of people. Uh, but, but the notion that there should be this fixation over many years, you know, Wells Notices going back, again, many years, uh, allegations going back many years, that that is is uh, definitely it seems a, a lot of resources for something that doesn't probably make a lot of sense. And then you have um, Coinbase and a lot of the industry saying, "Look, tell us what the rules are. Again, we want to be good actors. How do we comply? What do you expect? Lay it out in actually proactive, positive regulation. Give us and uh, you know procedures." Process under the um, Administrative Procedures Act that that puts all of this out in the open in terms of what we have to do, rather than case by case enforcement actions that are relevant only to the facts that apply, uh, rather than to the marketplace writ large in terms of setting expectations.
0: How much of this will be solved simply by regime change? I mean, we know how politics work. You resigned from your job when there was turnover in the presidency right? Because you were with one administration and we, we moved into another one. Inevitably, there will be a switch back and then the same sort of turnover will happen. And maybe we see the people who are so anti-crypto losing their jobs and another regime coming in. I mean, listen, Donald Trump did not like Bitcoin. We, we know that. But Jay Clayton and Brian Brooks you know, are at the head of these regulators and had very sensible approaches. So I think there's different levels to it, does a switch over in who's the president or what party is in control solve this? And we just are patient and wait.
1: No, I, I think uh, it is important to be optimistic in terms of recognizing the the different levers that happen here. I, I mean, I can't promise that the next SEC chair is going to be you know pro crypto per se. Sure, I'll say there were a lot of people that thought can't uh, be worse. That we love Gensler. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could, you know, that it could be. But I do think the the, the um, it is encouraging again what's happening in other countries that openness to innovation, the conversations that are happening there are, are very reasoned, uh, frankly, and and um, open-minded. And we're seeing those in at least some corners in the U.S. And and I might even apply it to age, um, although I am <laughs> I'm older. <laughs> you already disclosed how old you are. We're peers. Um, the the uh, younger generation coming along on Capitol Hill. You know, you see it, it. It is bipartisan, and that's the one thing that that I have certainly tried to do, and I think the industry has tried to do is is keep it a bipartisan uh, issue, an interest in innovation absolutely an interest in protecting consumers the right way and, and having disclosures and transparencies, but recognizing that the current system doesn't work for everyone and doesn't have to remain the baseline in the way it is. Um, you know, we do see a lot of cost in the system and, and, a, and a lot of intermediaries who are making a lot of money off of consumers uh, along the way in ways that, that facilitating uh, transactions on blockchain just you know eliminates all of that. Um, so I think there there are new ways to do things, and you've got again uh, largely younger members, but I'll at least say more open minded uh, policymakers across the board interested. And the last breath I'll say on that is what's happening in the states. Yeah, uh, as much as as so many people thought the bit license was overkill in the industry, people are now pretty excited about uh, Adrian Harris's leadership and. Um, DFS really saying, hey, you know, there's no reason to drive this stuff offshore. We have a regime, we're committed to it, and we have an open door for the industry to come and talk to us. Well,
0: it's interesting. A year ago, you would have probably had a different take on the political situation in crypto. It seemed like it was far more bipartisan. You had Lummis Gillibrand, obviously, proposing legislation and joe biden saying let's you know get on top of this with an executive act maybe that was more sinister than it looked at the time but either way it feels like ftx sbf because he was sitting down with these politicians and regulators they got egg on their face they're embarrassed it seems like to me that's what utterly changed the tone and now it's become partisan which to me is extremely sad for all the reasons that you sort of laid out i mean a free financial system that empowers poor people who don't have access to legacy financial services should be a progressive talking point, not something that they're raising an anti-crypto army over.
1: Well, I I will say that I, the progressive side of this is a little bit of a, of a head scratcher for me too. Well, you've but-
0: gotten Elizabeth Warren before, just like our <laughs> industry, right? So
1: yes, yes. I, I am not sure how that got um, so nasty, but it was, it was nasty before FTX. I, and yeah. I will say it is true too that, um I frankly all of us uh feel um you know, how, how could we have missed that amount of fraud but again, remind ourselves that this does happen in traditional Finance. There are bad people all over the place and it's all about good people actually stepping up and and doing something about it and calling it out uh where you see these things happening inside. Companies um, and so it was a it was a massive fraud on many scale uh, on a major scale and there are a lot of investors who were who were hurt along the way. It did have a tremendous impact on the policy discussion in Washington. I, I, that I I categorically agree. But I have heard so many people keep saying this has taken a partisan turn. I, I mean, maybe I've been in Washington too long and seen too many things that I truly thought were partisan. I don't think crypto is actually partisan yet. I mean, you see it in the the hearings um, more recently too. There are Democrats down the dais who are interested in understanding it better, um, are are actually pro um, digital asset innovation, and want to see the right consumer uh, protections put in place and want to see the right system enabling this going forward. And I think recognize what what many of us have been saying all along. Again, you push it offshore, you're not actually protecting Americans because people want to access these products. And And they will. And and they they will. And they are. And so they're doing it without the protection of a U.S.-generated regime. And that's that's the fallacy. It's the, the truth of the internet is you actually cannot stop people from accessing it. The goal is to give them a safe environment in which to actually engage with it. And so that that's recognized. And, you know, Lummis Gillibrand are going to reintroduce. We have um, um, still interest from from um, ranking member waters uh, now and former chair waters. So there are you know, there are there is engagement there. Uh, Politics underlies, of course, everything in Washington um, and more and more in society than I think it should. But there are still people who are trying to do the right thing here. And continued education uh, only helps that.
0: Yeah, I think being more clear, I think the optics are partisan because the loud voices on each side are one or the other, but that's never probably the reality when you actually dig in. And and there were, as you said, plenty of pro-crypto Democrats. I just think their voices are a lot quieter.
1: If now, that's that's very interesting. You know, six six I, I months think again, later, <laughs> yeah, I, I,
0: you know, there was this brief time I think where there was reputational risk not to have a position on this, and now it's flipped back to there might be reputational risk to have a position and come out in favor. So they largely probably just remain quiet and hope their constituents aren't too passionate about it. But I want to talk about what you're doing now because. We sort of alluded to the fact that there are a lot of bad actors in this space and there is a lot of fraud. And the more that's amplified, obviously gives them sort of more ammo for the crackdown, but you're trying to track and stop that to, to some degree. Can you talk about exactly what you're doing and how that works?
1: Definitely. Um, and that's you know why I was so excited to join Solidus Labs. So we are a risk monitoring company. We serve all kinds of market participants from the centralized exchanges, broker dealers market makers dexes uh and regulators as clients and so it's really um taking uh taking our expertise in trading behavior fundamentally that's what it is looking at the activity and saying you know what what is happening here um we have a capability um, that we acquired a, a I guess now it's actually getting close to two years ago, but but in tokensniffer.com that uh, many in the crypto world know because they utilize it as a retail service. It's actually free if you're looking to um, buy this new token you just heard about um, that's available in DeFi and, and you want to see whether or not it's a scam. You know, is it a rug pull? Um, You can actually enter the the address into TokenSniffer and get a report back about that. So we make those hard rug pulls um, or those code level scams just available um, to investors writ large. We also have that on a larger scale and have uh, developed uh, quite a bit of feeds of that into our core product called Halo. Um, And it really is about providing that risk monitoring platform to see, Um, what's happening in that trading environment and identify manipulation, um, uh, whether it's of of different assets or again, front-running, spoofing, things that happen in traditional finance, but are detected. They're so easy in
0: DeFi, my gosh. I, I, I honestly, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I honestly didn't realize how bad it was until I just, because I wanted to be able to speak on it, I have zero passion or support for it, but I wanted to just touch this meme coin craze go in, buy a couple of these launches, and everything is being front run by these MEV bots. That's what's trading these things. It's completely wash trading for small profits by bots that are front running your orders. I mean, it's a completely broken market. And so it's no mystery that this does need some sort of regulation or some sort of structure. I mean, did you ever think... you? I mean, you before you were... Uh, doing consumer protection. I mean, you were effectively managing like a quarter trillion dollar budget for Homeland security and the biggest agencies in the United States. And now we're talking about rug pulls of frog memes.
1: No, it is, it is actually fairly ironic. As you noted <laughs> I, when I was at the office of management and budget and, and um, on the Hill, I had, yes, uh, literally uh, hundreds of billions of dollars in, in my care in terms of how we, you know, how we think about that and budget for it. And, and, looking at, um, you know, again, real, real people being harmed. I, I think it's, it is interesting the culture of DeFi because people still have a mentality and maybe some of it is a pretty speculative mentality. Well, I may know that this is probably, you know, again, wash trading or something else, but, but I can get ahead of it. And so you have that individual consumer looking to invest when they're competing with all of those bots, as you said, it's like you, you can't actually win in that scenario, but but there are definitely people who think they can. And how we keep that clean or give them a place to actually have a safer environment, you know, that's that's again what we're trying to build at solidus as we look at new tools and capabilities in DeFi. Um, and you, you you do you need you need industry to come up with the ways, you know, what, what is appropriate behavior, what is not appropriate behavior in many respects before regulators can come in and say that's illegal um you know there right. there is a line here some of it is is in fact legitimate arbitrage Those are legitimate strategies uh sure. and then a lot of it uh, a lot of it is not to, to your point
0: yeah i mean at least when you go in a casino you know that the house has the edge and you've accepted that you're going there for the party and the free drinks right and i think the problem is that a lot of people walk into these things and believe they're investing in some legitimate asset and it's really just something that was launched for these bots to take their money, right? But I think that's also a very echo chamber. Very few people are participating in that, right? I don't think there's that many people who are on Dex tools or one of these and looking for the next big frog launch. And it's a very small part of a very small community. So you've gotta be monitoring things that are much larger, I would imagine. I mean, we're talking about wash trading or manipulation, in billions of dollars on centralized exchanges and the bigger decks, as I would imagine, right?
1: Yes, yes. And that's where there are clients and um, we're seeing, you know, their uh, internal order books in the case of those centralized exchanges um, and and really helping them sort through those things. And, and to your point that the, the industry has matured. I mean, you get back to a lot of the early research. There was a lot of wash trading when a new, um, you know, CFI exchange would launch, I, they were doing that to again hype hype up uh, their uh, volume and and get attention and, and interest in their um, you know in their services, which is completely inappropriate and and problematic for a lot of reasons. And so that has sorted itself out, and you don't see that happening the same right. way. Um, and that's some of the new products in uh, in DeFi too. Again, they're they're engaging in that activity and that's what needs to start kind of pushing out. But then you do see, again, more sophisticated um, types of of scams and manipulation. We actually have um, a a report we're going to put out in about a month on market manipulation and crypto writ large. And so uh, I'll admit, I've I've gotten some previews and pieces, but I'm very excited to see it. It's, It's the number one question I get asked by regulators, too. Like, what are you guys seeing and what how, how can we think about this? And so what are you seeing? And then and then an answer to that in terms of how we think about it is where we need to go. But again, calling out this behavior, pointing it out to people, that's an important part of what good actors in the space need to do.
0: This exists in regulated markets as well. I mean, it's not like penny stocks and pink sheets don't exist and it's not very much the same thing. But uh, I think that the consumers in this regard do need some sort of protection because a lot of them just have no idea what's happening. And and so it's interesting you said the wash trading is largely gone because that was a massive narrative even until the last year or six months, I think. Do you think that's because centralized exchanges, at least the bigger names, view themselves now as under a much larger microscope and basically it's just not worth it? Like They, they can't get away with it? Because interestingly, we knew that they have a lot of external market makers, which, are exist in legacy markets as well but now we're seeing those market makers exit the united states jane street and jump i mean what does that mean for these order books and for the liquidity on these centralized exchanges that are not wash trading and no longer have market makers willing to to really help consumers in that regard make sure that you're filled there's no slippage that you can actually trade with any volume
1: uh, that is that is definitely a challenge as we look at what the U.S. market really looks like. And again, we're not we're not stopping U.S. consumers from accessing uh, these markets. We're just stopping them from having U.S. protections around them. So that is what you're seeing happen. And and I'll say the um, the exchanges that have left the U.S. and and many are leaving Canada too for similar reasons. Say they're going to Europe. I mean, and and we'll see if that is really where where the market turns. And one of the reasons is their regulation uh, Mika. passed. Yeah, they passed the markets and crypto assets um, legislation. Uh, the, the rules are, are coming out and being uh, developed further and finalized. And and it's been a rational course. We've been talking about Mika now for several years, and it's marching forward on its its path to implementation. And it gets you to, again, not rules that everyone loves, but rules that everyone can understand and can follow. I was just going to
0: say, I mean, Mika is not great. It's just clear it's funny that we've gone from like pro we want wanting pro crypto regulation to just give us any clarity so that we can operate but then moving to europe where it's actually extremely strict and not that favorable says a lot about what's happening here
1: it, it really does and that's i mean I, you know and i i get it too some of the policymakers are saying good glad glad get out of here yeah, which be gone. already makes yeah. makes no sense for others saying are they really leaving? I don't know that I believe it. You know, you still have a worker base in the United States. The founders are in the United States. So, I, I, you know, some of that does remain to be seen. But but I can at least say anecdotally from Solidus's standpoint, like that's many of our clients. We many of our first clients were in the U.S., but in the last year. Our U.S.-based clients have moved their operations very specifically out of the U.S., and we are servicing them now in terms of overseas business. And our new business is coming from Singapore-based entities, Hong Kong-based entities, um, frankly, the, the United Arab Emirates. And so a lot oh. of them is happening. Um, and Europe is, is just starting. And so I, I'm intrigued, as I said, to see, what does this really look like? And, and is the business there, but it is definitely leaving the U S even if it's a, you know, kind of a, a, a half measure leaving the U S trying to keep a toe yeah. here. Cause they want to yeah. see yeah. happen over time. Coinbase
0: isn't leaving the U S they would have no business. I mean, I, it's a symbolic gesture. I understand they're hedging their bets, but no leaving. And uh, you know, just trying to establish a, uh, you know, uh, basically a foothold somewhere else are two very different things, but that, that is happening. I mean, in Dubai, I was in Dubai in February, you can just get a meeting with the regulator. Imagine someone just getting a meeting with Gary Gensler. The Coinbase can't even get a meeting with Gary Gensler, right? But in Dubai, you can call, say, I have an idea. Let me present this to you and be in their office within a week and talk about things I didn't have in my bingo card. You just said Hong Kong. I mean, China was supposed to have banned everything. Now we're banning it and it's going to China. It's like a dystopian future I could have never predicted. This is insane.
1: No, it is, it is very sad. And again, the way I grew up in government and the way that I I believe government should operate is that yes, you have an open door. You have a responsibility to actually meet with the, the entities you regulate, meet with the industry as they want to come forward and talk to you. I think where where some of the challenge comes in is you do have a history at some agencies of saying, of course, come and meet with us and the staff will meet with you, but the, it's not a conversation. And to your point, in Dubai, in Abu Dhabi, in in Singapore, uh, even in actually with with the politics in the UK right now, I mean it is a, a very open door to have conversations with policymakers. Um, Europe sending that signal too. Uh, you don't think of of France and some of the other countries as as uh, typically having that attitude, but they're projecting purposely that attitude in uh, crypto uh, news outlets and and uh, you know publicly generally. To say yes, we we actually want to understand how the industry uh, works. We want to understand, frankly, why all of these people are so interested in this and, and engaging with it. And that is the attitude that um, you know that that some U.S. agencies just don't have a history of of again feedback conversation. It, it tends to be a one way thing, and and that's unfortunate in in, in my opinion.
0: I agree. If you were the chair, chairperson of the SEC, what kind of rules would you be putting in place? Where is the happy medium?
1: I think it's um, certainly there There have been, uh, it's been a pretty robust uh, regulatory agenda uh, out of the SEC, but um, has been pointed out by many as, as somewhat disingenuous. So a lot of the regulatory changes don't actually even mention digital assets or crypto but clearly encompass them, and then also encompass, you know, uh, communication protocols. There, there are all kinds of implications for industries beyond crypto uh, of of the rulemaking agenda the SEC has had. But what I do think has been missing is, um, and and you know, again, taking the SEC at their word, they don't think new legislation is actually necessary. At least right. at the CFTC, they've said, "Hey, we see a big gaping hole in spot market oversight." And we think somebody needs to take that, and we think these are largely commodities, so we should take it. Um, that's not the position the SEC has taken. So, if you assert that the SEC has all the authority they want, uh, they could want, then it is positive rulemaking agendas. The the first thing that that I would actually purport to do, and it's not you know uh, unique to me as an idea, is actually helping set that baseline, similar to what what Mika does in saying. Sure. If you're a security, this is what you do. Oh, a the security don't, man. No, yeah. Yeah, you don't know, yeah. Yeah, Gary, you don't know what it. you are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They say if you don't know what you are, and you're offering digital assets. You still have a regime, so it is setting that baseline. And the way I think uh, it would make a lot of sense to set that baseline is what Hester Pierce has proposed as a safe harbor.
0: Safe harbors. Mean,
1: how how do you launch? How do you create these ideas before they even get bigger? Um, you got to test them out. And the notion that you're going to come in and register as as an ATS or or go through the millions and millions of dollars of lawyer fees just to see if you can get an idea off the ground. I mean, in many respects, that's that's un-American.
0: Could not agree more. I love Hester Peirce. She's like my favorite. And the safe harbor is the most sensible proposal I've ever heard, I think, from any regulator ever anywhere. You got three years, prove it. You can innovate, you can try, but prove that you're decentralized sufficiently by the time that three years is up, or you're going to be coming in to register security. Seems really, really obvious. Yeah. Obvious also, like security used to not be a four-letter word. It just is for the crypto industry. I think a lot of people would want to be a security.
1: And and many of them, I mean, and, and even Hester has said it too. So many of these things, there are securities, and so question so sure. of what what exactly is the the investment contract? Is the token tied in the investment contract? Again, other things that could be made much more clear rather than just asserting that tokens are securities as a backdoor in enforcement cases. Just you know, th- where that's not proven. I mean, that that also is something that
0: yeah. Pretty disingenuous. I, I love how the SEC just randomly lists like eight to ten tokens in every enforcement action and deems them securities out of nowhere. Yeah, like, we're going after Bittrex and here's seven names we pulled out of a hat that we'd like you to know are securities, but have never contacted them to let them know. It's just, it's just so disingenuous the way that they're approaching it. It's just disgusting. It's, it's sad.
1: I, I a lot more clarity would be had if if we could get some some parameters around that and. And again, you get back to the the issuers are not being approached about it. You're talking about tokens too that have been issued a long time. Um, so you're now talking about you know tokens that are listed in many locations where the exchanges say we did due diligence. We don't intend to be trading in securities. So uh, help us understand you know wh- why this is, um, and and that's that that needs to be addressed definitely. And unfortunately, I think Congress might be the only one who can address it. Or to your point, again, there, there could be an SEC uh, leadership transition that, that uh, you know, addresses more of this, too, as the markets become more mature.
0: Yeah, I mean, one day we're going to need some legal, some clarity from lawmakers, for sure. I mean, you know, I think the people who defend Gensler say it's sort of the if the only tool you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail approach. And if they don't have any more clarity, they're just going to keep keep on hammering, but I want to go back to solidus because it seems like you're solving quite a few problems. The grand vision over the next few years, I mean, how much of this fraud or manipulation or bad acting can be solved by companies like yours? I mean, can we effectively clean up this industry to the point where we're not so much under the microscope of these regulators and legislators who dislike us?
1: I certainly think so. I think, again, part of that is ensuring that you have the right incentives and and that players you know want to create that ecosystem too. So um and and you have that. Again, across the globe, there are um the exchanges, the broker dealers, the market makers who want to actually operate in a regulated space. And and we have we have dark markets uh, in, in you know uh, the real world, so to speak. There there are many of those types of things, but but what the regulated markets have our, our clear bounds and parameters and and consumers and investors know where they're operating. And that's what is challenging uh, in crypto right now, too. And so that's what we're seeking to create. It's that segregation between what the regulated markets are, what the regulated offerings are, and making sure that is at least segregated uh, and and clearly delineated. And so I think that's, that's what we can help uh, provide and even, you know, what we're thinking about in terms of Um, DeFi is making Mm -hmm. clear that you've got regulated pools um, of and and building blocks in that manner and making sure that the, you know, so that brings all of the players validators into the system too.
0: You talked about this risky transition for you personally from government, obviously to uh, the world of magic internet money. Was that a passion for the consumer protection that you could offer this company or was there a passion for crypto and DeFi as well? Or have you backed into one from the other? That's how it happened with me. I came as a trader and then actually kind of fell in love with the asset class and the importance of it. But that took me a very long time.
1: No, I think it's it's, it's a a passion for innovation and, and doing it the right way and seeing the benefits be realized. And in many respects, I think government gets in the way more than it should. And so I really feel like with my career, I'm uniquely positioned to to help facilitate that. And as I said, found a company where that is is definitely the mission. And there there are smarter ways to go about consumer protection. But as I said, it's it's about sunlight. It's about actually having that transparency, um, having disclosure, having clarity, and uh, a passion for for all of that. That definitely led me to seeing um, the benefits of you know kind of the, the way crypto's the what crypto's vision is uh frankly and and we know it hasn't been realized fully and that's um you know that's part of uh the progression
0: did you buy any pepe
1: <laughs> no i'll admit i stay away Neither. i stay away i, hate from, it. I
0: just from i wanted to see your coins. face if i asked <laughs> since, since you're so passionate for defi do you buy me do, do you buy frogs you know uh, what i uh, that's worth though asking. So you're in a world yeah. where we're trying to look serious and we're trying to work directly with regulators and legislators who think this is a massive casino. And then all of a sudden we're launching a thousand tokens a day based on frog memes that have no value and are clearly majority, not all scams. And are we shooting ourselves in the foot here?
1: It is definitely a challenge um, and a challenging environment to have these conversations because there's a part of me that doesn't understand it. I mean, but yeah. right, <laughs> I'm I'm a conservative person when it comes to my own money. I I always have been. Uh, I take risks on my career, but not, but not with my cash. So um, you know, a lot of the things that I that other people buy, I see no interest in, but I see their right to buy it. And so again, as long as the conditions are clear and they are not being um, defrauded, they have the right to spend their money how they like to. I mean, I'm not a big gambler either, but but that is uh, a legal activity, and that is something that people uh, enjoy. And as you said, for lots of reasons, and including the the free drinks. So that's something that they can um, you know decide to to put their money against.
0: Perfect. Well, is your belief that we will get a clear framework here, or do you think we're just going to kind of exist in the gray? I mean, I, I I would like to say that it's hard to predict the future. So, you know, two years, four years, ten years, I think we get there. But I just can't believe still I hate to just harp on the same point that we're seeing it everywhere else and it's just not happening here and we're supposed to lead in these areas.
1: I think the, the hope comes uh, from the state level, certainly, and continued uh, activity uh, and interest there. The hope comes from younger people, again, who have the interest in activity and engagement still with these products and services. And um, I, I wouldn't still be living in Washington if I didn't believe in Congress's ability to do things as a former congressional staffer myself. So uh, I think I think that um, we we can act uh, for the better. And I think some of it though too is industry coming together and being um, organized in a way that, that gets to good standards and where we can do some self-policing that demonstrates we're serious.
0: Love it. Well, where can everybody follow you, keep up with you after this conversation, and obviously check out what Solidus Labs is doing?
1: Uh, absolutely. So definitely, uh, I'll, I'll admit I'm more old-school. So I'm definitely active on on LinkedIn more than Twitter. The company, though, is on LinkedIn and Twitter, and and uh, and uh, Arad is on Instagram. So we've got kind uh, of lots of. Even our, our DeFi team being on, um, uh, you know, all the other channels that are out there too. So great to uh, have this conversation with you, Scott. Thanks for having Thank me. Thank you.
0: On. I do have one more question. Would you ever go back to government?
1: There aren't that many jobs left uh, that I find interesting. So at this point, uh, we'll we'll see. It remains to be seen.
0: We need you on our side, anyways. <laughs> so we don't have that many people that understand the bureaucracy. I think of what's happening there, uh, fighting for us. So please stay on our team.
1: Thank you so much, Scott.
0: Thanks, Kathy.